Merry Christmas from Drew and the entire Relevant Radio family. Thanks for spending the season with us. For uh, Jewish, especially the first kind of Jewish audiences who would have heard the story of Jesus, um, what these characters are called and the gifts that they bring, when they're bringing them, these would have all activated all kinds of different associations uh, for especially Jewish people who grew up on their scriptures from childhood. So you call them the wise men, and that's a, they've been called that uh, through uh, a lot of the history of the telling and retelling of the story. Um, they've also been called the kings, like the three kings from the Orient. Um, in uh, most modern Bible translations, they're called the magi, connected to our word magic. I think it helps us understand their portrait a little bit more. They were not like stage magicians, you know, cats out of heads. Magi means um, an ancient astrologer, which was a form of what's called divination. It still happens today, you know, in my horoscopes and people pay attention to that kind of stuff. But this was a big deal in the ancient world. All of the ancient cultures around the people of Israel believed that the gods communicated messages to people through the patterns and the movements of the stars. So we have like NASA and the Hubble telescope and that's what we think of the stars. <laughs> yeah. But that's uh, not the case for most of human history. The stars are divine beings talking to us by their movements. And that's, so these guys are professional astrologers who live in a distant land. We're not told, it's just from the distant, distant east. So when these characters come onto the scene, there's a lot of radar going off, red alerts, like pagan sorcerers have just arrived in our land. This is not normal. So I, that's not something that we normally think of when we think of the Christmas story. We don't think of ancient pagan astrologers. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, who were the Magi? That was the Bible Project's, uh, Project's founder, theologian Tim Mackey. Diving into who the Magi were, a lot of conversations about. There, there's a book out. If you, if you really want to dive into who they are, I think it's one of the most comprehensive, well-researched book on the subject of who the Magi uh, truly were, where they came from, what their mission was. It's called Mystery of the Magi. Mystery of the Magi, the quest to identify the three wise men. Uh, Regnery Press is who publishes it. Uh, it was scripted, written by uh, Father Dwight Longenecker, who is, of course, the pa- pastor of uh, Our Lady of the Rosary uh, Church in Greenville, South Carolina, a regular contributor to the program here. And it's always you know, so great to talk with him. He's going to be joining me in a minute here. But I thought today, in this final hour, let's take a look at who these men were. Uh, who were the Magi? How do we know there were only three? Were there three? Were there more? Did they really bring gifts of frankincense and gold and myrrh? Do we know their names? Was it, you know, Melchior and Casper and, and Balthasar? What do we know? What do we truly know? How much is myth? How much is legend? How much is reality? And then after that, of course, they supposedly followed a star. Is that true? We'll take a look at the star of Bethlehem. What was it that hung in that night sky that supposedly guided the Magi? You know, this is one of those great stories and um, you know, I, I think it can be embellished. You know, a lot of legends surround the wise men or, or the magi, as they're called. A lot of tra- traditions have been built up around them. Tradition with a small t around those unknown men who've, who've, uh, you know, I guess we've made them kings, right? We, we've given them names. They went to Bethlehem from far away, 
countries in the east riding on camels on a long perilous journey guided by the star. The only thing that Matthew's gospel actually says, right? And if you go back, I mean, where do we get all this information? The only thing that the Matthew, the gospel of Matthew points out, he says that one day Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem inquiring about a newborn king of the Jews because they saw his star in the east. They found out from Herod that it was uh, in Bethlehem, so they went to the house where Jesus was and offered gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then they were warned in a dream, you know, not to return to Herod. So they went home another way. And that's all that we know from the Bible, right? That's all the biblical evidence we have. So where did all this other stuff come from? Right? Where did it come from? You know, there were three of them. It came from a distant land. They were kings and so on. You know, what's the real story? Well, you can read it in The Mystery of the Magi by Father Dwight Longenecker. He joins me today to answer your questions and to give us some insight into this uh, great aspect of the Nativity story. Father, great to have you with us today. Good afternoon. Hi, Drew. Great to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. It's always a delight to talk to you. So, well, first of all, thank you for your book. Um, and I know we've talked about this in, in years past. Uh, and I do want to dive into who these men were, but what motivated you to decide to I guess, research and, and and look into the mystery of the Magi. And what you found was quite revealing, and we can talk about some of that. But I'm, I'm curious as to the origins of your of your interest in your book. Well, some years ago, I was asked to write an article um, by, I think it was for Our Sunday Visitor, one of the Catholic newspapers, on the or, or where did the Magi come from? And I had assumed, like everybody else who's looked into it at all, that um, the Magi were probably from Persia, present-day Iran, Iraq. Uh, at which during the Roman time period, during the time of Jesus' birth, was the nation of Parthia. Um, however, um, I was also aware that biblical scholars, New Testament scholars, generally dismiss the story of the Magi as a, uh, an invention of the early church uh, trying to make Jesus somebody special. That, that sort of argument goes that in the ancient world, for someone to be special, they had to have a special birth. It had to be marked by special signs in the stars and so forth. And there was evidence that in the Roman civilization, to make one of the emperors great, they had to, they had to create a, a special sort of birth for him, which was um, observed by the gods and, and, and portrayed in the stars. And that this story of the Magi, therefore, was created in order to give Jesus a more stupendous birth than he actually had. Well, I disagreed with the idea that it was actually just invented and thought, what if this story is actually rooted in real um, historical events, even though I admitted that there were lots of legendary aspects that had been added over the centuries. Mm -hmm. So I therefore began to look a bit further and said, what if the wise men came from the very countries that the ancient, the Old Testament prophecies predicted uh, in Isaiah's um, in the book of Isaiah and in Psalm 70, I believe it's 72, they say the, the, the kings of Edom and Seba and Sheba will come to worship the Messiah. Um, so I looked up these particular places, Ephah and Sheba and Edom. Um, where were they? They were in the Arabian Peninsula. So that led me to actually research who was in the Arabian Peninsula at the time of Jesus' birth and came up with the Nabataeans. Oh. Wow, fascinating. So, how much Sorry, of the... Sorry, that's, um, that's a long, that's a pretty long answer, no, no, that's how it came about. No, no, no I, I love it. There's so much, actually, you and I could probably talk three hours on, on the Magi. There's so much to get into. 
How, how much of their story, uh, how much of the Three Kings story that, that we think we know is, is celebrated in song and opera, how much of that is myth? I mean, how, how much is myth, how much is reality of, of, of what we know about them? Very little. I mean, the, the typical sort of um, story of the Magi that we celebrate today in, uh, in the Christmas story um, in 2021, uh, I'd say probably 85% of it ha- is our elaborations or accretions legendary accretions that developed around the story that Matthew tells us um, over the centuries for all sorts of complicated reasons. Um, And so, however, what I discovered, while it dismantles a lot of those um, legends that we love so much, at the same time, it also shows that what is recorded in Matthew's gospel is actually um, very likely to be historically accurate. So, so, um, did they really follow a star, Father? I mean, I, and tell me a little bit about their journey. Were they in a caravan? Were there three of them? Uh, right. And Matthew, how did they get Matthew, their names? So there's a lot there. Matthew never identifies them as three. Instead, over this, uh, one of the legends that developed was there were three because of the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, in fact, in the early church, in the first five centuries, there were various legends about the wise men which were circulating around the, ancient, the early church. Um, and in some of the legends, there were 12 wise men. Some, in some of them, there were six or seven. And of course, in some, there were three. And eventually, this story that there were three named Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar emerged. Um, and that was the tradition which then found its way into the Western Church and into, into, our, into our stories today. <clears throat> and what, what about the, the star of Bethlehem? I, you know, did they well, did they again, arrive at this? Did they arrive at the the stable that night, or did they come years later when Jesus was a young young boy? Well, again, again, the 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 part of our story is that they were from far eastern lands, maybe India or or China or even for, or Africa, uh, and they all followed this this mystical magical star that moved across the night sky, guiding them on a long trek across the desert in the camel caravan. Well, not really. That story actually was added to the Magi story by some of the Gnostic writings. These are extra-biblical writings from about the 3rd, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th centuries. Some of them are truly bizarre, in which these wise men come uh, raid a cave that, where Adam once laid, and where he laid, where, and where Adam himself um, hid, hid the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then they had mystical visions in which a, a um, radiant baby floated through the sky, and led them through the desert sands. And so the idea of the star moving across the desert and guiding them step by step, again, came into the story, uh, added to Matthew's story, and came into, into our tradition, so it's part of our story now. But it's not in Matthew's Gospel. He says um, instead that the wise men said, we saw his star rising in the east. And um, the scholars believe that this they're actually referring to the rising of a planet uh, within an astrological constellation, and they were astrologers, and that this they saw his star rising in the east, and this was a sign that there would be a newborn king of the Jews. But the star did not lead them step by step. Otherwise, you have to ask yourself: if it was leading them step by step, why did it take why did it take them to Herod's palace in Jerusalem rather than straight to Bethlehem? <laughs> Right, that's a great point. That makes a makes a lot of makes a lot of sense. You know, something I don't know a whole lot about is the Nebatines. Uh, you know, the popular thought is, hey, these these uh, magi came from China, India, or some other distant land. But from a 
you know, 100 miles from Jerusalem, the Nabataeans. I mean, hardly anyone knows anything about them, but um, they're really interconnected. Uh, yeah, we, we don't know very, who they were. We don't very, we don't know very, know very much about the Nabataeans because they did not keep keep written records the way the Romans and Greeks did. Therefore, mm-hmm. all we have is archaeological references and references about them in third-party writers. In other words, they didn't keep their own records. But we do know that the Nabataeans controlled, um, at the time of Jesus' birth, controlled the Arabian Peninsula and the Horn of Africa that in northeast Africa, as well as... Um, uh, sections of of, of uh, real estate right up through C- present day Syria and Jordan, and hmm. the Nabataeans basically were a sh- they they were a trading um, uh, country, and they ran camel caravans across the Arabian desert from the ports in Yemen, where the ships came from India and China, and they shipped their goods across west uh, westerly across the Arabian Peninsula, eventually crossing Judea. To, get to the port of Gaza on the Mediterranean, from which they unloaded their caravans onto ships to get them out across the rest of the Roman Empire. So, think of them like a first-century trucking company. They were, um, <laughs> I like it. They were fabulous, and they were fabulously wealthy because the goods that they were shipping were luxury products from India and China: um, pearls, oh. silk, spices, um, and also three of the cash crops from Arabia itself, which were, surprise, surprise, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Hmm. I was going to ask you, why did they choose those gifts? I mean, what, what is it? I, I know there's a lot of symbolism in it, but talk about that for a moment. Uh, you know, the, the, the symbolism gave to Christ. The symbol, yeah, the symbolism was, all, again, all added later as, as Christian preaching points. Preachers wanted to see the symbolism in the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So gold was for Jesus the King, frankincense was for Jesus the God, and myrrh was for Jesus, who was the suffering Savior, um, because it was used for anointing the dead. Um, in fact, gold, frankincense, and myrrh are much more important, because, to my mind, because they actually indicate where the wise men came from. The finest gold in the ancient world was mined in Saudi Arabia, and, gold, and frankincense and myrrh comes from the sap from bushes, which only grows in Saudi Arabia. So the Nabataeans, who controlled that territory, um, had huge reserves. They were basically the three commodities that, that the um, Nabataeans had to trade in, in, in the ancient world, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So they brought these gifts to Herod and eventually to Jesus uh, as representatives, representative gifts of their country. Oh, fascinating. The shepherds are a big part of the, the, the story as well. Is there any connection between the two of them, the Magi and the shepherds? No. Again, we have the idea that uh, on Christmas night, the shepherds um, make their way down to this uh, sort of shed or barn on the edges yeah. of Bethlehem. Uh, and they're there at the, about the same time the wise men show up on their camels. In fact, the Gospel of Matthew says that... Um, the wise men went and found the child and his mother in a house. So therefore, uh, they must have moved to a different dwelling there in Bethlehem sometime after Christmas night, because the word they use for the young child is the word which we would translate as a toddler. Gotcha. Hey, uh, your book, The Mystery of the Magi, The Quest to Identify the Three Wise Men, 
what's the best way to to get that book? How, how can people connect if they want to learn more? It might be a good Christmas present too. I know it's a little late now, but that could be a great gift for someone. It's certainly well, a great actually, read. it's a good gift for Epiphany. Remember, Epiphany is January sixth, so they can get it by in time True. for in time for Epiphany presents. <laughs> they, they can get That's it from my blog, DwightLongenecker dot com. Uh, I know there's an increasing reaction among some people against buying anything on Amazon. Um, for all sorts of complicated yeah. reasons, but you can get it on Amazon, of course, and you can get it through the Regnery um, Books um, website, but through my through my website as well, DwightLongenecker dot com. Yeah. So I only have got a couple moments left, and, I, and I'm going to leave it there, uh, Father. But I'm just curious what happened to these men after they encountered Christ. I had read somewhere that the uh, Apostle Thomas, it's probably another legend, maybe, baptized the three wise men. Um, what happened after they encountered Christ and, and went on their way? Is there any other evidence, or again, is that up well, to, we, to legend and myth? Uh, there's a little scraps of evidence. One is that um, if you take the road from Bethlehem uh, eastward towards Jordan and cut just north of the Dead Sea, there is a monastery there, a very ancient monastery, which claims to have been built on the site of the cave where the three wise men rested as they went away from Bethlehem. So in my book, I speculate that they took that road and then joined up with the northerly road from Petra in Jordan, north to Damascus. Now, in Damascus, there are some very intriguing clues. One is that um, there was a community of Magi in uh, Damascus in the early days. And you might remember from the Acts of the Apostles, St. Paul, um, when he's persecuting the Christians soon after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, where does he go to persecute them? He goes to Damascus, indicating that there was a a Christian community there already. Um, And furthermore, the scholars have discovered that there's a story that St. Paul was actually, after he was converted, he went to find the community at a place called Kokbar, which is called the Tower of the Star. So there's these intriguing hints that there may have been a Magi community, or the Magi may have gone to Damascus. Wow. And Damascus at that time was part, had been part of the Nabataean kingdom, but it had fallen under the, under the rule of the Romans by that time period. So they would have gone back by a different route to their own country, as it were, um, but went to safety in Damascus rather than going back to Petra. No. Well, I appreciate your incredible uh, research, hard work, and your authorship. I, again, it's a great book. I hope you'll check it out. Before I, I, I let you go, though, I'm always curious when somebody does a work like yours. I, I wrote a book on St. Faustina, and when you dive into the research and you begin to talk to a lot of people, there's always a surprising discovery. Is there something that left out at you? What was your most surprising find regarding the Magi? The most surprising find was that um, about the politics of the time that um, Herod was actually a, uh, his mother was a Nabataean princess, and he was brought up in Nabataea. And King Herod's neighbor, Aratus IV, um, had some, there was very interesting political connections between them and between Caesar Augustus in Rome, uh, and the political and economic pieces of the puzzle fit in absolutely perfectly for the time period. I love it. Well, I, I, Father, I hope you have a great Christmas. I'm grateful for your time and your contribution across the year. Of course, you have a website, DwightLongenecker.com. Your latest book is Beheading Hydra. We talked about that. And, of course, the book for uh, Epiphany, Mystery of the Magi, The Quest to Identify the Three Wise Men. Would, would you, you give us your blessing? Prayer. Yeah, yeah. You'll go ahead, Father. prayer for me, too, because in the spring I'm going out to Jerusalem for two months' study to research wow. the Shepherds of Bethlehem, because I think there's another book there, too. 
Anyway, that is too um, cool. That that is awesome. No, I we count on our deepest prayers. The, these two books go hand in hand. I, I I wish you the very very best. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and give you His peace this night and for Christmas time, and for all time. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you, Father. I will return that blessing with our own prayers for you as well. Thanks for being here with us. Always good to talk. Great. To you. Thanks, for all your, thanks for all your work. Yeah, bye-bye. You got it. That's, uh, that's Father Dwight Longenecker, again, pastor of Our Lady of the Rosary Church in Greenville, South Carolina. His book, The Mystery of the Magi, The Quest to Identify the Three Wise Men, regularly press publishes. You can check it out. I'm sure if you go online, like he said, to Amazon or even to his website, Dwight Longenecker, you can learn more there. It, it's a fascinating subject. As I said, I could talk three hours. I had uh, read a, a piece. I, 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 there's a writer by the name of... Uh, Kozlowski, Philip Kozlowski, who a couple years ago wrote a piece on whether or not St. Thomas the Apostle baptized the three wise men. And the Gospels, you know, don't tell us much about the Magi, as you just heard, but there is, uh, there are traditions in the church that the Magi, uh, after visiting the Christ child, um, being warned in that dream, departed for their own country by another way. And one of the traditions dating back to the Middle Ages claims that after leaving Bethlehem, they traveled to India. They built a chapel on a hill there. And each year they returned to that chapel and they prayed to God uh, that they would be baptized before they died. And as years passed, they heard of a disciple of Jesus in India, St. Thomas, right? That's uh, where he was ultimately martyred. And uh, they went in haste to find him. And after relating the story to St. Thomas of their visit to the baby Jesus, uh, the apostle baptized the wise men and uh, later ordained them priests and bishops. They lived uh, together in a city there and later died before Christmas uh, one year. And that's, uh, you know, I don't know how much truth is in that. I, I love that story. A lot of traditions regarding these wonderful men. In fact, um, there's a mention of their baptism by the great Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, who had these visions of the birth of Christ. Stay with me when we come back. We'll take a look at the star of Bethlehem. The Relevant Radio Studio line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. It's pretty amazing when you stop and think about it. One baby boy changed the entire world and brought you and me hope. Now I'm not a one second guess what angels have to Merry say. Christmas, and thanks for being a part of the family. But this is such a strange way to say the word. This is the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. It's such a delight, really, it's such a delight to be here with you, and I love just I love looking at life through the eyes of faith. I love this time of year. Uh, there's so much to talk about. You know, God often uses, I think, the natural in a supernatural way to communicate to us. And every year around this time, um, there's always I, I love to talk about the Star of Bethlehem. What was that mysterious luminosity that hung in that night sky? Huh? What was it? What's your theory on it? You know, I'll share mine in a minute. You know, there are a lot of different theories about the, the Star of Bethlehem. Um, could it have been a just supernatural phenomenon that God himself put a luminosity in the in this night sky that the, the wise men could track and follow and lead them to the birth of Jesus Christ? Was it there for all to see that, that Christmas star? Uh, you know, was it, was it a comet? 
You know, was there something in our orbit, something that, you know, came by? Uh, maybe it's in a, a long orbit. Who knows? That was unique to the astronomers of that day. Was the star of Bethlehem what they call a conjunction, the gathering of, of planets in the night sky? Was it perhaps, here's another interesting theory, uh, uh, an exploding star? Was it a supernova? Uh, was what was that what was in that night sky? Lots of different theories here, and I want to talk about it with you. And, of course, you can join me today. Here's the number. Put this in your speed dial because you're welcome to, to jump in with me anytime. It's 888-914-914-9. It's 888 I'll slow that down a little bit. There are, of course, uh, all kinds of theories. Um, the other one I left out is that it never happened. <laughs> you know, a lot of people say, oh, there was never a Christmas star. Uh, but here's the deal on that. I, I would disagree with that. The Gospels are historical documents about a real historical person. And they were recording actual events that happened. And the star appearing at the time of Jesus' birth, that was one of them. So I pushed that one right off the table right away. Um, there's the theory that Matthew you know, made made it up to tell a good story, and it was part of a larger theological point that he was trying to make. Uh, and that sounds like kind of the first theory to me, except those who propose it, I think are just being a little more polite, right? But again, the gospel writers didn't just make up things to tell religious story to make people feel good. And there really isn't, as far as I know, a whole lot of theological significance to the Star of Bethlehem. But there are some points that can be made. And they're not earth-shattering, as I said. You know, there's a, a lot of significance to the fact that the wise men from the East saw it, decided to set out on a long journey to see the newborn king of Jews. Uh, did it take them a week, or did it, they follow this thing for years? That's another interesting question. We'll look at that. Um, and again, as I said, there's a lot of astronomical theories. Uh, some say it was a meteorite. You know, uh, I don't think that was the case at all. A comet, uh, as I mentioned, a supernova, a conjunction. Uh, we'll break those down for you, and uh, we'll do that with Father Chris Corbelly. He is a Vatican astronomer. He is a research astronomer there for the Vatican Observatory in Arizona. He's looked at these questions. He joins me just about every year. It's almost a tradition now as we unpack this great mystery of the Star of Bethlehem. And, Father, thank you for joining me. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Drew. It's always wonderful to join you at this time and think about this star, yes. Um, you know, there's one thing I never asked you, Father. You, you know, we've talked about all the, the astronomical explanations for this type of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I never asked you, is there a theological significance to the star itself? You know, I, it just kind of came to me. I thought, hmm, it's another one of those theories out there, but I, I don't know what that would be. Are you aware of any? Well, the theological theory is uh, what people give us the reason why Matthew included it. Um, Jesus, this amazing little baby born in Bethlehem, is the light of the world, you know, and kind of lights up our world like this, uh, the Christmas star, the phenomena, and that's it. Uh, You know, there are so many dark spots in our lives and and in the world today that to to have this light, uh, the light of God in our lives, and to be sure of that, that's that's the theology. I love it. Uh, well, let's let's talk about some of the theories. Um, uh, first of all, I mean, one of them is that it never happened. I don't buy that as I made the case. Let's talk about the astronomical ones. Um, some scholars think that this star was a comet. And, um, you know, there are records of comet sightings that do match up with the Lord's birth. Uh, for example, I think Halley's Comet was present in around 11 B.C., 
but the first Christmas took place, what, around 5, 6, 7 B.C., something like that. What about the theory of a, of a comet in the, in the night sky? Could that possibly explain this? Well, it, it could do, yes. Um, there's a, I was just reading an English astronomer, John Williams, in 1871, published a list of uh, comets that it could have been based on the Chinese records. And it's the Chinese who have been observing them. And they were able to distinguish, you know, comets and Nova, which is a a, a star exploding. And uh, the comets, of course, were, uh, you know, feathery, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Some had tails uh, and some did not. And um, the Chinese would distinguish between them and accurately record them. So, yes, you know, from that point of view, uh, there are various uh, possibilities for a comet at the time. But, and maybe you can, you can fill in the, the but about the comet. Right, of course. The, um... the, 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 uh, the comets were, um, you know, uh, in, at least in the, uh, the Roman era and the Greek mm-hmm. era, were signs of uh, something bad going to happen, you know, yeah, sort omens. of doom and yeah. disaster, maybe death. So, you know, that was associated with a comet. Um, though uh, when Julius Caesar died, a comet was seen. And then, you know, a year or two later, they reinterpreted as well. The um, the emperor is now immortal. So you can always reinterpret a comet. It's uh, called a yeah. yeah, you're right. You they, know, they were quite often spinning on the news. <laughs> they were quite often um, considered to be, you know, omens. If you saw those in the in the night sky, yeah. Um, yeah. One of the other popular theories that's been out there for a long time, because this was a bright star, it stood out. I'm assuming from others, um, some believe that it was what they call a conjunction, a gathering of planets in the night sky. And since planets orbit the sun at different speeds and distances, they occasionally. Mm-hmm. As you know, they approach each other closely, and mm-hmm. I think it was Kepler who kind of prefer, you know preferred this view. But you know, uh, what do you make of this possibly being some conjunction yeah. of of planets? And, and again, yeah. there was a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn back in six BC, and maybe a closer gathering before then. But but what's the possibility of this you know this the star being a conjunction? Yeah, well, you know. Planets, of course, you know, we, we always refer to them as stars. And in the ancient times, they didn't know the difference that these were nearby and in our solar system. And that's why they didn't twinkle. Uh, but, uh, you know, but they moved. And that was the unique thing about the, the planets, whereas they, we had the fixed stars that didn't move and formed our constellations, etc., that we're familiar with. But so, OK, the planets move through the sky. And as you said, sometimes... Uh, Two will come close together, what's called a conjunction or joining of the uh, the two. And there was uh, a really startling conjunction that happened three times in the year 7 BC. So a lot of scholars will, you know, put weight on this was the, uh, uh, you know, the phenomena in the sky that got these learned men who yeah. knew their, you know, stars and their wandering stars or the planets. Well, they, it got them out of their chairs and uh, onto camels and for an uncomfortable ride. Yeah, the, and how far did they ride, you know? How far away did they come? Yeah, uh, again, that sort of... Um, Syria, right? Know, We're thinking they probably came from Syria. Is that the popular thought? Like Syria, yes. So, but, 
you know, they, they couldn't come straight across the, right. the desert. They'd probably loop up to the north and down. So that was, they thought, that's why just hesitated. Yes, so right. Syria, but, you know, with a sort of a roundabout route around. So it would have taken them a good while. So there's another theory here, too. Um, one is that it was perhaps um, an exploding star, a supernova that uh, that took place. And, um, you know, some stars, of course, were unstable. They explode in a way with a you know, brilliant blaze, a bright blaze. Um, I, I don't know if there are any historical records that indicate there was a supernova at the time of the Lord's birth. But what, what do you make of the possibility of seeing a supernova? How long would that be in the night sky if there was a, an explosion like that? Well, it can, depending on obviously the type of supernova, it can last quite a, a number of weeks. And uh, obviously, the brightest supernova and are seen even in the daytime. So that's yeah. something very startling. Yeah. But the Chinese did haven't recorded one at the time, so that that's a bit odd if it was a supernova. Because I like that theory. That actually makes sense. It would be in the night sky. It'd be in the day. It would be something very rare, something unique, something that may not occur again. You know, um, it's a fascinating theory. I have to take a break, Father. When we come back, um, I'll share kind of a theory I have, too. And I'll Good. open the phones. We'll take some calls. We only have a few moments. My guest today is Vatican astronomer, Father Chris Gorbally. If you've got a question, a theory, a comment, you want to join the conversation, feel free to. All right, here's your number. It's 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Taking a look at the mystery behind the Star of Bethlehem. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. It's the truth and nothing but the truth. And nothing but the truth. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. This is the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born, the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. And scripture tells us that when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, all of Jerusalem with him. And he gathered all his chief priests and scribes and all the people together, and he inquired of them. Where was this Christ to be born? So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it's written by the prophets. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people. Then Herod, he sent secretly, he called the wise men and determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search for this young child. And when you found him, bring him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came to stood over the young child. And of course, you can read that in Matthew 2, the story of well, wise men's encounter. Of course, they left after visiting with the Christ child and went another way, and we know the massacre of the holy innocents. But this star was very telling to the people of the day. It revealed something that had been prophesied for a very long time. The Magi followed it. 
How long was it? A lot of theories. We're talking about the theories of the star of Bethlehem. There's theories that never happened, that it was a comet, that it was a conjunction, that perhaps an exploding star or a nova or a supernova or something that might have taken place. You know, I, I, I think they all fall short of the nativity story. Um, you know, two details in Matthew I think are of special interest. One, the text implies, you know, that maybe only the Magi saw the star, you know, conjunctions of comets, exploding stars be visible to everyone on earth. Was it there? I, I don't know. I want to get Father Corbelli's take on that. But the second, the star went before the Magi. It led them directly from Jerusalem, uh, led them directly, I should say, to the, the, the birthplace of Christ. Um, so was the star of Bethlehem something in the natural that God used in a supernatural way? Or was it a supernatural light? Was it a supernatural light? You know, perhaps the, the first Christmas was indeed a time of these type of miracles. I think it's interesting food for thought. You know, was a star like a pillar of fire? I mean, given all the evidence presented, you know, I, I'd, I'd have to side with some of the church fathers who asserted that the star was of a supernatural origin, a miraculous event, not unlike the pillar of fire, the smoke that led the Jews out of Egypt. So I just find, I don't know, it's kind of interesting to juxtapose such events in the Old Testament, you know, in the book of Joshua and how he commanded the sun to stay still in the sky, you know, and then what do we have at our, our Lord's birth? A star seemingly defied the known laws of astronomy and physics to stay motionless over this birthplace of Jesus. And it's shown with a great brightness, you know, on the darkest nights of the year. You know, when Christ died, one final thought here, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this. When Christ died on the cross, what happened? What does Scripture tell us? It tells us that the light of the sun was obscured during a solar eclipse, impossible during a full moon just after the beginning of spring, and one wonders or not at the star or some other otherworldly sign might have heralded Christ's, Christ's first coming, So, or his second coming, I should say. Um, let, let's talk about it. 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, my guest, Vatican astronomer, Father Chris Corbelli. So, Father, there's my theory, and and I don't know where you stand, but I, I'm going to believe, I believe that there are so many divine events that unfolded in the life of Christ. Why not a divine light, a supernatural light given by God to lead the wise men to fulfill prophecy to come at the time of the birth of Christ? That God, you know, in his great majesty, allowed a star to, to a luminosity to hang in the night sky just as the... Scripture tells us about this this tearing of the heavens and the angels coming and singing and these celestial choirs. Uh, your, your thoughts on what you think it might be. That's just me, personally, looking at it from a spiritual perspective. True. That, that's wonderful. That's certainly a person of faith speaking there. And yes, you know, it could have been a special phenomena. Um, exactly. Uh, what I'm sort of guided by, I'm an, obviously an astronomer mm-hmm. as well as a Jesuit priest. I work for the Vatican Observatory. And I, I sort of guided a little bit by uh, uh, Emeritus Pope Benedict XVI when he said, uh, with the emergence of modern astronomy, the question of this star has been revisited. So we, we do have some um, you know, modern uh, approach, but the thoughts of, of the star being actually a physical phenomenon have gone back you know, centuries and centuries and centuries. So, you know, I, I pursue the, the physical explanation for it. Uh, but you're quite right. It could have been a, a miracle. 
and, and exactly that the whole birth of Jesus obviously was uh, you know the biggest miracle we, we've known yeah, sure and I'm not opposed to it being a, having natural origins I often think God uses natural you know events in a supernatural way to communicate to his people and this very well yeah. could have been it let's go we'll grab a couple phone calls for you. if you want to join us I only have a few moments with father Corberly jump in triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Um, we'll go to Eric. He's listening in Hollywood, California. Eric, thanks for joining us. Thank you for uh, taking these phone calls. Uh, basically, you just uh, guys went over what I wanted to ask. Uh, was it could have been a guiding angel that the, the star of Bethlehem represented? And another, uh, can you please give me some insight of what time of the year the shepherds would have been out and they could have seen this star? And also, was this star visible during the day to lead these magi? Thank you for taking my uh, my phone call and question. Three great questions. Thank you very much. Well, go ahead, Father. I'll let you respond to that. I'll pick up first an angel. Yes, you know, there are angels all around. Uh, we have an angel, um, obviously, uh, the uh, incarnation itself, uh, visiting Mary and her wonderful yes to what God wanted to do through her. We have an angel, you know, in a dream coming, in a dream this time, coming to Joseph and saying, you know, do take Mary as your wife. This uh, this child is from God. So you know, angels were very much in, uh, there in the the Christmas story. So uh, could well be. Um, but again, we're also investigating the uh, the physical th- uh, phenomenon because do- God does talk to us through through nature and through our understanding of nature, and that would be the the wise men. Um, what time of year? not you know christmas it could well have been sort of early spring uh, and that's when the um, the shepherds would be out on the hillside so uh, mm-hmm. you know the, the time of year is probably not uh, our christmas time and yet chris you know this is the time of the new light coming you know the deepest darkness yeah. um, the longest days and the you know the coming of the light so there's, there's reason right. obviously for christmas time and I've had others, I had a guest on earlier who made the case for, yeah, there were sheep out at this particular time of year. And a lot of people say, hey, there weren't sheep out in December. So it could be December. Yeah. We don't yeah. know, but I, I, you bring up a great point. So go ahead. What was the other uh, point that uh, John had, Father? Oh, help. Um, <laughs> John, what was your third point? I had three questions for us. Eric. Oh, I'm sorry, Eric. I'm sorry, Eric. Eric, yeah. Eric, I know you're still there. I'm sorry. What was your third point? Your third question? Uh, yes, sir. If uh, if you could tell me, was this light of the star uh, visible during the day? Good question. Yeah, that's, I'll be curious about that, too. Um, well, uh, yes. You know, if it was a supernova, and so uh, Drew is sort of uh, advocating a supernova, yes, a supernova can be visible during the, the day. Um, it's so bright. Uh you know, it wouldn't be not for very long, but certainly a week or two visible in the daytime. You can just see Venus if you know where to look. And uh, if you look up in the, the morning sky before the sun has risen, and nowadays you can see how bright Venus is. You can just see that. But the supernova, say the one in 1054, uh, that was bright enough for people really to notice in the daytime. So what a, what a bright... Um, you know, phenomena that was, yeah. yeah. But again, the Chinese haven't recorded no. uh, such a bright, you know, it's, guest star as they call it. So that's the puzzle about. Can, can I back up on that for a minute? Because it, it's a great question. I think Eric's asking: Was it visible mm-hmm. for everyone yeah. to see? Um, I, I thought, you know, again, um, 
Yeah, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, it talks that, about how the Magi saw the star. Was this an astronomical phenomena that that somebody who studied the stars would notice a deviation in, or, or a, you know, some some anomaly there in the heavens that they would follow? And the average Joe, you know, the shepherd, the the, the carpenter, they would have no clue about. Or do you think it was something that was so bright, so luminous that all the people, including King Herod and others, would recognize? Yeah, well, I suppose, you know, even something like the uh, the coming together of planets, you know, bright planets like Saturn and Jupiter, uh, what we call a conjunction of the planets, people would see that, but maybe they wouldn't see the significance or you know, see the first conjunction of um, in 7 BC of Saturn and Jupiter, and it would take the the wise men uh, to realize that this is going to happen two times more, so a total of three uh, comings together of Jupiter and Saturn and moving apart again. So it would need that sort of additional knowledge to say, oh, hey, this is something really important. All right. Hey, thank you very much, Eric. Great to have you here. Manuel, I only have it less than a minute, so uh, very quickly your comment, right. if you could make it. All right. Well, I was thinking there had to be something a little bit more miraculous than the conjunctions or stars, because you still had to know what city precisely and in what house precisely to go visit. And basically, that's it. All right. Hey, thank you. So Manuel there makes a case for uh, uh, for the miraculous. Father, I, I, I guess we'll one day find out. Uh, you know, who knows? Um, yes. you know, but <laughs> I love it. It's one of the great mysteries of oh, yeah. of, uh, of the Christmas story. And I, I tend to side, I think, with Manuel. I think I think God really allowed a special <laughs> light. Now, whether you use the, the natural to do that, that's possible. You know, maybe maybe dead. Who knows? But thank you for your uh, for your time and your contribution over the years. It's always great to talk to you. And if we don't have a chance to connect again, have a very merry and a blessed Christmas, Father. Thank you indeed. A blessed Christmas to you and everyone who's listening. That's Father Chris Corbeling. Of course, as I said a little while ago, he is uh, an astronomer for the Vatican Observatory. He's located in uh, in Arizona. And it's great to have him here with us. I'll be praying for you. If you'd say a prayer for me, I'd be grateful. Have a good day. The stars go by. Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting the hopes and fears of all the years are made thee
Be born to us today.